Right now, Missouri is one of a few states without any limits on campaign contributions. That could change if Amendment 2 ends up passing later this November. So we thought it would be a good idea to bring Todd Jones in to explain how this measure could affect Missouri politics. Join him next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight seven, six, six five, five four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio in St. Louis is... Colleague Joe Manis. And our special guest for today... Todd Jones. And I think you are the executive director of Returning Government for the People. I don't know if that's your exact title, but... Well, I yeah, I'm the author of the uh, Amendment 2, and then also um, I am a legal representative for the organization returning government to the people. Well, thank you for being in today. I'm just going to kind of let our listeners know what we're doing here. Um, There are a number of constitutional amendments on the ballot. I think there are six or seven. And Amendment 2, beyond the Amendment 1, which is re-upping the conservation tax, is one that doesn't have organized opposition. And I think even though I don't like to predict elections, I think its chances of passing are very high. Okay, and what we're trying to explain is Amendment 2 is the proposal to reinstate some form of campaign donation limits. Now, these are different from what Missouri had in place, and it doesn't cover everybody. Which we'll get to. Which we'll get to, but to to simplify this, this would basically end the unlimited uh, campaign donations which Missouri has had for about eight years now. So we feel that this, we feel that since there is a very good chance of this amendment passing, and if it gets through a legal challenge, which we'll talk about briefly, this is going to be the new lay of the land in Missouri campaign finance. And we wanted to go over pretty much everything this amendment does. So before we do that, Give us, tell us a little bit, not only about yourself, but why this amendment came to be and how it came to be. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm a uh, lifelong St. Louisan. Went to uh, the University of Missouri, Columbia for undergrad and then also for law school and have been practicing here since uh, 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first job was with the uh, Attorney General's office, Jay Nixon. Um, did that till 2003 and then came back here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second part of your question was? Yes. The second part of the question is, how did this amendment come to be? Because there's been a lot of talk about reinstating campaign donation limits from kind of the progressive Democratic perspective. But you're coming at it from, I would say, the socially conservative conservative perspective um, that people may not know about right away. So Give us a little sense of the origins of this amendment. Sure. Um, first off, campaign contribution limits, we believe, are a nonpartisan, mm-hmm. bipartisan issue, and it affects everybody. Um, this, Since the limits were repealed initially in 2006, then the Supreme Court obviously overturned that, and then they were repealed uh, later in 2008, Eight. for right. f- finally. And uh, since that day that candidates were able to raise money in whatever amounts they wanted to. We've seen this growing amount of contribution limit or growing amount of contributions in the thousands, tens of thousands, 
hundreds of thousands and millions now. And the issue is, is pretty much two things. First off, we've seen a tremendous influence that those contributions have on candidates and politicians who are in office. Um, if you give a million dollars to a candidate, whose call are you going to take? Are you going to take mine or are you going to take the, the donor? And so there's a lot of issues with undue influence and, and uh, impact that that donation has on the actual politician. And the second thing is, is by doing, by, uh, there's obviously a prime example of one individual who actually had a, uh, given donations to the governor, lieutenant governor, state treasurer, and attorney general candidates um, this last election, was you're able to pack pack the system with your chosen people. I don't even think it was one individual. I think several individuals did that with competing slates, that, basically. That is true. But what that does is it enables that individual to um, give this, you know, say it's an attorney general position, give them an amount of money that's so large that it would be impossible, almost impossible, for another candidate to take them on. And so when the governor has to uh, quit after eight years, or they decide not to run for re-election, then who steps up? Lieutenant governor. And then, you know, keeps rotating. Mm -hmm. So that was another concern of ours, because we saw this picking and choosing who they wanted to actually run in the future. And uh, that was a concern of ours. Now, the reason I kind of prefaced that question as it was coming from the conservative angle is right. Fred Sauer is, is the person that has been funding and and not only funding, but also providing the intellectual and organizational support for this to happen. And, and, he is, and Fred is president of Roundtable for Life, which is one of the anti-abortion groups. And he state. also was a candidate for governor in 2012 as a Republican. And my sense is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, he saw an undue influence of basically donors who were in favor of embryonic stem cell research providing their influence on Republicans and Democrats. I know that that was a concern of his in the early 2010s. I'm not sure if this was the impetus behind this amendment, but I have read a lot of his material and, and I've also known his activism for a while. I know that's been a big concern of his. Is, is that accurate, first of all, or am I kind of paraphrasing his interest in this issue a little bit incorrectly? No, I mean, he is the uh, the founder of Missouri Roundtable for Life and also returning government to the people. And this was a big uh, project that we undertook together and um, with some other people. Um, it was just this concern. He, he's always been interested in politics and even in the 70s was a uh, um, very active in politics. But it wasn't until the past or the... Uh, getting rid of these campaign contribution limits, that he became very concerned with where this was going. Um, you had people who were yes men as Speaker of the House um, in the state Senate, and you didn't really see um, the activists of the party, the true uh, party members, actually being able to um, influence their elected officials because they had these large amount of... Uh, donations from one, two, three, four individuals. And so that was a big concern. 
you're talking about uh, the embryonic stem cell research uh, that we took on with Mosira um, when they tried to pass that without any limitations on how that money could be spent. We had no issues with uh, um, Mosira getting state funding. It was with the um, lack of uh, limits on it that um, we believe Amendment 2 from 2006 actually um, allowed them to spend, you know, whatever money they wanted on embryonic stem cell research. Now, how much support have you gotten, at least maybe privately, by some Republicans or some other conservatives? Uh, we've had a number of podcasts, let's say the last year or two, where we've had some former Republican legislators on about different things, and they have, and several um, have said that their vote, their their 2008 vote to get rid of campaign donation limits, was the one vote that they regretted because they d had no idea that things were going to turn out the way they are with the amendment, with the donations being so huge. And I just um, wondered what sort of feedback, even if it's just private, and also, that you're getting. Democratic gubernatorial nominee Chris Coster said something similar that he regretted that as well. So continue. Yeah, I honestly don't know the hearts and minds of these individuals who voted to repeal the limits. Um, have they contacted you? That's my point. Um, not really. Okay. Um, but we haven't been contacted by many Democrats either. Um, naturally, this but, issue you know. appeals to um, Democrats and uh, left-leaning voters because it has been a big issue for them in the past. But we also believe that this also should appeal to conservatives who are concerned about how government is spending money and and how it's being used. I mean, to be fair, a little bit of history here without getting into too much in the weeds, but there was about a six-year fight in Missouri over campaign donation limits in the 1990s, basically over the size. And But one of the leaders of the effort in 93, 94, was Roy Blunt, who now is not in favor of campaign donation limits the last time I talked to him, uh, although he has to deal with them under the federal system. But he had been one of the leaders in 93 and 94 of an effort to put campaign donation limits in place in the state, which prompted the General Assembly to put in place some limits, which prompted uh, voters to put in place stricter limits, which then produced a multi-year court fight, which finally resulted in 1999 with the Supreme Court saying, here's your, you know, because, uh, so my, my point being, is that initially it was not a, quote, democratic liberal issue. It was actually a bipartisan right. issue. So I want to just touch on this briefly because I want the majority of this podcast to go into the nitty-gritty. But you expect that if this passes, there will be a legal challenge, given that there were legal challenges before, and they were thrown out because they basically said at the end, you have to wait until this amendment passes for that to occur. Do you expect that to happen if this passes? Well, and, and you're right about the uh, three previous attempts to keep this off the ballot. Um, the judge basically said um, in the district court and appellate court that uh, these were substantive challenges to the amendment. And you can't challenge an initiative until it passes on substantive issues unless it's facially unconstitutional. So... We uh, have heard that uh, the other side 
who support no limits at all will file uh, a lawsuit after this passes. Hopefully it passes. Um, but, um, you know, we just we don't know because we're not in their offices. So OK, so Jason's go- we want to go through the provisions in depth because people hear the general thing about the twenty six hundred dollar limit for statewide or legislative, but there's a lot more to this. Right. And I actually have the amendment in front of me. Um, the first thing it says is to elect that basically uh, there, there's a preamble. And the main thing about the limitation says to elect an individual to the office of governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, state treasurer, state auditor, attorney general, office of state senator, office of state representative, or any other state or judicial office, $2,600. So that basically means in layman's term, for any state-based office, no one entity could donate more than $2,600. Is that correct? Per election cycle. Per election cycle. So you could get 2600 for the uh, primary right. and 2600 for the general. Yeah. And it is indexed to inflation later on so that it doesn't stay at $2,600 forever. So why did you pick $2,600? It's the federal limit. Um, I know the federal limit has been also indexed, and so it's probably yes. gone up since then. But um, it was just a, a reasonable and uh, easier um, contribution limit to pick. I mean, you're talking about the prior amendment that passed, statutory, I'm sorry, that passed in mm-hmm. 94. That was uh, way too low. Yeah, Way too low. And it that made was it, a $300 was, was, was yeah. the max. And the court found that. And uh, so we just wanted to set a, a limit that equaled the uh, federal. Um, so to simplify everything. OK, so that was an easy question yep. going forward. The <laughs> next provision deals with political party committees. Right. Now, before we even get to the limits, we're, when we're talking about political party committees, we're either talking about committees that are directly controlled by a political party. So like the Missouri Republican Party Committee, the Democratic Party Committee are like a legislative or county committee that's run by a party. Is that correct, first of all? Or is it just – tell me what a polit- what you mean by political party there. So political party is obviously Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green, whatever party that is registered and is allowed to put their candidates on well, the ballot. Well, but does it include, let's say, the Senate Majority Fund, for, for example, which is a re- the Republican arm of the effort – to keep the state Senate in Republican hands. I mean, I'm using that as an example. Yeah. Is that covered by that, too? No, it's not. Okay. So, okay. That, that's later on in the amendment. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So it basically says that no one person can give more than $25,000 per, per election at state, county, municipal, district, ward, township level combined. Okay. And also it says no political party shall accept aggregate contributions from any committee that exceed $25,000. So what do you mean what do you mean by that exactly when when you list all of the the different levels of government to those committees? Well, this was the idea with the amendment. We had to do everything we could to close the loopholes. If you only say individuals can donate so much, guess what they're going to do? These wealthy elites are going to donate to the party and then the party's going to funnel the money to the individual. Mm. And what if they donate to a separate pack? that they have set up for whatever purposes. Then they'll funnel that to the candidate and get around the limit. And so by doing this, um, by limiting individual contributions, individual contributions to candidates, parties, and then also from PACs, what we're doing is 
starting to close that loophole, which we, we continue to do later on in the amendment, to prevent this funneling of money without any, uh, you know, li- basically limits. Okay. So the next provision, it says, it shall be unlawful for a corporation or labor organization to make contributions to a campaign committee, candidate committee, exploratory committee, political party committee, or political party, except that a corporation or labor organization may establish a continuing committee that may accept contributions or dues from members, officers, directors, employers, employees, or security holders. I mean, basically, this is saying that a corporation or a labor, convor- or labor group can form a PAC, correct? I mean, correct. Isn't, but, but they can't give it directly. It has to go through their PAC. Right. So what we wanted to do was prevent corporations and labor unions from actually directly donating um, to candidates because, again, we're trying to close loopholes. What if, you know, uh, somebody is able to give through their union or corporation, but they've already given the 2600 and that money then gets funneled from the union or corporation to the uh, individual mm-hmm. uh, candidate, then, you know, they're getting around that. So basically the only thing, like, let's say the Carpenters Union, right. they could form a PAC, donate a lot of money to it, but they could only basically do independent expenditures, essentially. Well, they could you, not donate directly to a candidate. Right. We're not trying to shut them out of the process. Right. What we're saying is is that they can form their own PAC and run, you know, and support or against the candidate right. that yeah, they... Yeah, I mean, they can, it says, okay, they can't make direct contributions to a campaign committee, candidate committee, exploratory committee, political party, or whatever. But Those but are all MEC terms. A, yeah. but, 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 but they can form a PAC. Now, this implies, at least I read it this way, tell me if I'm wrong, that the PAC could give a direct donation to a candidate. Is that correct or not? That is not correct. Okay. See, that's okay. Which I think we're getting to at number four, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe number five. But it says, no candidate's committee, no candidate's candidate committee shall accept contributions from or make contributions to another candidate committee including any candidate committee or equivalent entity established under federal law. Okay, so that doesn't include unions or corporations. Okay. So that is later on. But what does that mean? Because I think that one is actually pretty important. Yeah, so um, what we're trying to do is keep, um, say, the House Speaker wants to ensure uh, support for you know, his agenda, his or her agenda. Um, they will donate to their fellow you know, party members who are in need of uh, cash. And uh, what this does is say you can't do that anymore. They have to get their own support from their constituents, from individuals. Yeah. So that basically means, uh, as you mentioned, let's say House Speaker Todd Richardson, now he can give like a $25,000 contribution to, say, Representative X. Well, he can give any amount. Yeah, that's what I mean. No limits. He wouldn't be able to do that under this. It basically bans a candidate committee to candidate committee contribution. Again, we're trying to... Mm -hmm you know, keep people within that $2,600 limit so that money isn't funneled from either a candidate's committee, corporation, union, what have you, Mm -hmm. or political party to that candidate that would exceed that $2,600. There's another provision after four. I think it deals with loan, like a candidate loans or something like that. Yeah, I'm curious because I've read this before. Why did you guys decide? I mean, because it stipulates as far as... um, have to have usual and customary interest rate, so forth and so on. Is there a particular reason why you guys decided to deal with campaign loans? 
Well, what, what that is, is that was also in the uh, statutes. And so we incorporated it in for um, continuity's sake. And it, there was no real specific um, thing we were going after, but we're trying to ensure that um, we stay within what we deem the law Yeah. by putting that in there. Okay. So then the next line says, no campaign committee, candidate committee, continuing committee, exploratory committee, political party committee, politi- or, and political party shall accept a contribution in cash exceeding $100 per election. So basically, a, a does that mean total per person or just they can't have more than $100 in cash? Like, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so, this, <laughs> and this is also, we incorporated yes. from the statutes. Um Obviously, if a candidate is putting around a basket and getting cash donations, you don't want someone throwing in $3,000 and getting around the limit because then how do you trace that? So in other words, it has to be a check if it's more than 100 bucks. Correct. Yeah. And then there are several provisions dealing, I think, with anonymous donations. I'm not going to read all of them because they're very long, but I think they all kind of deal with it, the same the thing. The same thing, cash. Yeah. yeah. It all deals with that. Yeah. If you can't trace it, then... You know, we need to regulate it. Yeah, because number eight, for example, basically says they can't, uh, you can't c- collect more than 25 bucks from anonymous contribution. And what that implies when people throw money in the hat or something. Yeah. So, so and then there's another one that I think deals with, with fundraising activities, which again kind of seems like boilerplate, not, not, I don't want to say it's insignificant, but. N- Probably not stuff that needs to go in depth on this show. And then it says no candidate or committee in this state shall accept contributions from any out-of-state committee unless the out-of-state committee from whom the contributions are received has filed a statement of organization pursuant to a certain Missouri statute and has filed reports required by other applicable statutes. So so this one seems actually pretty significant. Like if you receive... Any donations from outside Missouri, from, I guess, a campaign committee, they have to file something with the MEC before that makes that possible. And that, that, and, and, and that would presumably they would have to identify their donors. Is that what, what it, could you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. Uh, again, I'm going to repeat the same <laughs> answer. It's to close the loophole, because if somebody's given to an out-of-state committee and they don't have to report with the Secretary of State, organized with the Secretary of State, and then actually file reports with the MEC, then um, there's a real concern that a lot of contributions would go over that limit. I think that's happened a lot in this governor's race, for example. For example, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on him in particular, but Eric Greitens received, I think, a two almost $2 million contribution from a, a group that filed with the FEC. And I don't know. Did I'm not even sure if they filed with the Missouri Ethics Commission. No, they did not. So basically, under this amendment, they wouldn't. People wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Is that correct? Um, I haven't looked at that specific situation. But no, but basically, it, what this says is they right. would have to file if, with the Missouri Ethics Commission. Yes. Right. If they're an out-of-state committee registered in that particular state, not in Missouri, then yes, that would be prohibited. Okay. And I think that the next couple of things may deal with committee to committee transfers 12 and 13 instead of going into each point i know that one thing in the past that's been a concern of people that even like campaign contribution limits is in the past let's let's just say before 2008 
what ended up happening was even though that there were strict limits in place, people got around them because they basically funneled money through a bunch of different committees and then those committees gave to other committees. Now, I want you to just explain how your amendment would stop that because I think that there are several provisions in here that prevent that from occurring generally. Right. And and so your listeners understand the MEC requires um, filings for different types of committees, campaign committees, um, candidate committees, uh, PACs, and so exploratory committees is another one. Um, but what we're trying to do is um, prevent an individual from doing like they've done in the past, like you said, setting up a hundred or so PACs and then having that money funnel through to a candidate that would exceed the limits. Um, so what we say is that PACs can only accept contributions from individuals, unions, federal PACs, uh, and various corporations, associations, and partnerships. Yeah, because in, in 16, it says no campaign committee, candidate committee, continuing committee, exploratory, et cetera, will be able to accept contributions from anybody who's not a citizen of the United States, a foreign government, or a foreign corporation that does not have the authority to transact business in the state pursuant to Chapter 347 as amended from time to time. So, yeah, that's just common sense. Yeah. I mean, if you've got foreign influence in some election uh, in the state, whether it's governor or what have you, um, there should be a concern among individuals um, who are voting. Yeah. And I think that the next provisions deal with nobody uh, contributions from anybody under 14 shall be considered made by parents or guardians. And then I think the in- indexing by inflation is there. And I, then I think it's like the the then I think after that, there's a lot about how to basically enforce if somebody violates this amendment, essentially. Right. Um, so then that is a pretty long process, but not something I want to get into 100 no. <laughs> percent. It, it would take another 35 minutes. So that would you say that that those are the main important points of the amendment? Or is there anything else that you want to mention? Well, I, I would just mention that we also mandate that PACs can't receive contributions from other PACs, as we've said, um, political party committees, candidate committees, campaign committees, uh, individuals, unions, federal PACs, corporations. And so, again, trying to close the loophole to make sure that no one's getting around that $2,600 limit. So let's talk about what the amendment doesn't cover. The first one is the aforementioned third-party committees. It's not only like the Senate Majority Fund, but it could be a third-party committee like Missourians for Freedom or Missourians for for Puppy Dogs or something like that. Explain to me why this wasn't covered, because I know that other states have tried to do this in the past and failed. Yes. Right. So when I was looking at other states that have done this type of legislation, I looked at Colorado, for example, and what they were trying to do was ban issue-oriented Um, campaign committees um, from actually participating in the process. And the Supreme Court has stated unequivocally that you cannot stop an issue-based campaign um, and limit their free speech through donation. And actually, this came up in the 1990s, just to oversimplify it, but this is the reason that Missouri's original campaign donation limits did not apply to these outside groups. And that, and that's why, let's say, in this stem cell fight, 
the Stowers were able to get to give thirty million dollars to the campaign committee that was running the pro uh, uh, effort to protect embryonic stem cell research. I'm just I'm simplifying it, but the bottom line is. They didn't do it 20 years ago, and that's why. Yeah, so this right. is why they're not doing it this time either. But continue. Right. No, it's a you know free speech issue when yeah. you're dealing with an issue, and so um, such as our issue. You know, we can't have restrictions on the ability of a an organization or individuals to participate in the process by trying to pass legislation, whether it's statutory or through an amendment. Because there is a bit of, I mean. And this is irony, not by any fault of your own, because I've predicted this for years. But in order for a, a campaign contribution amendment to even get on the ballot, somebody is going to have to pump a huge amount of money to get the signatures, to fight all the legal fights and to run a campaign. So I know Mr. Sauer has donated quite a bit of money to this. And I'm not I'm not trying to call him like a hypocrite or anything. This is just what he had to do, because a, the courts have upheld it, and B, if you want to achieve the goal of getting something on the on the Missouri Constitution through the initiative petition process, you have no other choice, basically. No, you you don't have any other choice. And plus, <laughs> we've seen through the the legislature, they don't want to do this. No, they don't. Why Why would you want to give up the ability to uh, raise unlimited funds for your future campaigns? Okay. And so, this is the only way that you can actually get this issue on the ballot and it is an expensive process it's you know you're talking upwards of a one to two million and you could say like fred sauer is a true believer of this because he's willing to put his money up to get it passed so you more power to him basically so the other thing i wanted to talk to you about and it's something i bring up often and i'm not trying to tell candidates to do this but i'm bringing this up because we live in a Missouri campaign finance system where lieutenant governor candidates get million dollar donations where we had a you know, a, a stretch of time in the governor's race where every candidate got like a million or two million dollars in the span of 48 hours. What I'm trying to say is Missouri candidates love taking in lots of money and they'll be willing to do it no matter what. So with that as a backdrop, this this particular amendment does not limit donations to candidates for municipal or county offices. And one of the things that not only have I brought up, but some other people have brought up, is they fear that a bunch of candidates after this pass are going to create campaign committees to run for mayor or county commissioner, raise unlimited amounts of money in it, and somehow use it either by transferring it to a new committee or just running independent expenditures for, for their own benefit. Could you address that possibility? Because I, I think that we, we may want to clear the air on whether that's possible. Right. So what we were trying to do with this amendment was to simplify it and also not deal with an issue of, well, a court could come around and say, no, this should have been in another section of the Constitution, and thereby this amendment is null and void. And so we were trying to avoid that. And, you know, you pick and choose what your battles are, and that was not a battle that we were going to fight. Um, obviously, the MEC would have to rule on that and uh, tell us if that is um, allowable. But again, what we're saying here with this amendment, if it passes, is there's a $2,600 limit. Now, I noticed at the end you do have a severability clause that says that the, that the, that the 
legislation remains valid even if part of it is thrown out in a court case. But in the case of the donation limit, here's my question. If the court rules that it's improper to have a donation limit that doesn't apply to everybody, wouldn't that in effect toss it out? I mean, toss out your main point. Well, I, I'm just I'm I don't know what the plaintiffs are gonna gonna attack the amendment on. It could be anything. I'm not sure that's what was at stake in the prior litigation. No, but I'm talking about now. I yeah. mean, I'm talking about for the average person. So, I mean, what is your thought? Because you obviously know a lot more about this than I do. Well, so what the plaintiffs did in the previous um, three cases in which we all, we won all of them, were um, they dealt with the issue of uh, our restrictions on foreign corporations, <laughs> utilities, and state chartered banks yes. from being able to donate. Mm. And I, I'm assuming that's what they'll argue again. But- what our argument is, is that you're dealing with highly regulated industries that are susceptible to either the appearance of or, you know, actual corruption or undue influence. And so um, the Supreme Court has actually held in FEC Beaumont, um, the United States Supreme Court, I'm sorry, that these types of restrictions under federal law are allowable. And so, you know, we don't see any reason why these restrictions would be um, overruled in that case. Now, going back to the municipal and county uh, committee question, you are correct. The MEC will have to issue an opinion on that. I inquired them about it. Basically, what they told me is they looked into this question when the old limits were in place. And they basically came up with an opinion that basically said, you, you can't do what I just explained, raise a bunch of money in one committee and then change the status of your committee and then, you know, reap all the benefits from that. Campaign donation limits would apply. But since this is a new system, what... Um, in a lot of ways, it's not new, though, because yeah. um, we did incorporate a lot of the uh, previous statutes yes. In, yes. Uh, I, into I, the amendment. I do agree with that. But um, uh, James Clark, who's the executive uh, director of the Ethics Commission, told me, and this is a direct quote, we would probably anticipate that we would get new and fresh requests for opinions on the new language, assuming it survives challenges and actually becomes the law of the land. I would imagine that people would not feel that comfortable relying on a short three-paragraph opinion from 2006. My guess is they would want some clarity from a current commission and current staff. So that that probably makes sense. It's very possible that they may decide as they did in 2006. But if they decide otherwise and the scenario I mentioned is allowable, would you concede that could potentially weaken the effectiveness of the amendment? Not at the state level. Tell me why. Well, I mean, because we still have these restrictions. So regardless of where this money's coming from and if they, you know, we're dealing with hypotheticals. Obviously. We are dealing with a hypothetical. So, here. I mean, I, I have no idea what the MEC would decide to do. But in the hypothetical, by the way, is is somebody creates a municipal committee, right. raises a, unlimited amounts of money, changes the designation to a state-based committee. As I said before, the previous MEC uh, opinion says you couldn't do that. I'm just asking you if they decide that you can do that, whether the effectiveness would be well, downsized. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, and take it for what it sure. is, um, I believe that our limits would still apply. So if, you know, somebody gave $50,000 to somebody running for mayor of the city of St. Louis, 
um, then they could only transfer 2,600. Mm. That would be my my uh, you know opinion, but uh, we'll we'll wait and see what they decide. And if they decide that, then you know that's a that's a loophole that's not there. Why do you think there was not a court challenge this time? To well, to, to block you from the ballot. I mean, even there, if it, even if there was a court challenge. No, no, no. But my point is, they the the belief had been because when I had talked to the lawyers that they were going to keep filing stuff, and they just kind of quit. Uh, and they're letting it go on the ballot, and they're going to wait and then see what happens and maybe come after it again. I'm curious, I mean, do you think that there's more of a general belief that what you guys were doing will, at least in general, pass legal muster? I'm just curious in, in, in your thoughts. Well, I mean, they did challenge us three times trying Correct. to keep it off the ballot. Correct. But they were challenging us on substantive issues, which can't be decided. They could have filed, um, uh, you know, something having to do with procedural issues. Correct. And they chose not to. And in my opinion, that wouldn't have mattered anyway. Um, but once you're shot down for, you know, your, if your argument's a substantive issue, then, you know, that's it. There's no reason to file anything else until the vote of the people. From, from my understanding, because I was doing some some I'm, I'm revealing my secrets here, but I sent a direct message to one of the lawyers involved through Twitter. I think that they were trying to get it transferred to the Missouri Supreme Court and then, and then the Missouri Supreme Court rejected that transfer. And they, they did. Just, they, they just denied. They transfer. just they just decided we're going right. to try after the amendment passes. That's my understanding. And I could be wrong there. But I think that's what's going on here. So I want to ask a, a more general final question. If this ends up passing, which, again, I think the chances are high, how do you think this is going to make Missouri's campaign finance system better? Well, first off, it's going to allow the people to actually take back control of their legislature, of their governor, of their lieutenant governor, because these candidates are going to have to come to the people to get donations. They can't rely on a few individuals in a room, uh, a smoke-filled room, to fully fund their campaign, which some people have done, especially in this previous primary. And by going back to the people, you're more accountable. And if you're more accountable, that's, you know, that's, that's great. That's great for the system. That's great for everybody. And this also will open up the door for other candidates to actually be able to get involved in the process. Um, if they see somebody who's already raised $2 million for some type of, you know, statewide race, that's challenging. How do you overcome that? Um, so we think it just opens up the door for more transparency and also for uh, more connection between the individual voter and then also the candidate. Well, thank you again for coming on our show. Again, we feel that we talk about campaign finance a lot in Missouri politics. If this is the new sheriff in town, we think that the, I guess, villagers in Missouri politics should know what is going to be the lay of the land if this survives and if this passes, which, again, I think the chances of it passing are pretty high. We'll have to see what happens with the court fight. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how would people find out more about the amendment? Sure. They can go to our website, which is www.returntothepeople.com. 
And you can also look at billboards around the stage. Yeah, we've got uh, wonderful billboards with the pig on it. The so. pig, it's a very visually striking billboard. <laughs> oh, are you going to be doing TV ads? Um, we haven't decided on, on that yet. Yeah, well, we'll either look at billboards or look at your TV. But until next time, so long. Mm-hmm.